Hello, my name is Hayley Luthwaite. Welcome to this ATS podcast. Today, I am joined by Associate Professor Anne Verdigan from the University of Newcastle in Australia. Today, we are going to be covering the role of a speech pathologist in pulmonary rehabilitation, discussing how a speech pathologist fits into and adds important value to the multidisciplinary team. So Anne, do you want to start by first introducing yourself to the listeners? Okay, thank you, Hayley, and it's great to uh, join you today. So my uh, job at the moment is that I'm the manager of speech pathology at John Hunter Hospital in Newcastle, Australia, and Belmont Hospital. And my role involves uh, management, obviously, but I also have a clinical role where I see patients uh, with a range of disorders, ranging from dysphagia through to chronic cough, vocal cord dysfunction, um, voice disorders, laryngectomy, um, it's a whole range of things. Um, I'm also involved in doing some research through the um, University of Newcastle in chronic cough and vocal cord dysfunction and I coordinate some of the allied health research committees. So I've been working as a speech pathologist for over 30 years. Um, I started in a mixed role where I was in a hospital and I saw children with developmental speech and language disorders, stuttering um, adults with swallowing speech and language uh, disorders. And I came across to John Hunter Hospital in 1993 and my job started working on the acute wards, mainly with patients who'd had strokes and uh, swallowing disorders due to general medical conditions. And we started getting these referrals from the respiratory physicians for patients with chronic cough and vocal cord dysfunction. And traditionally, speech pathologists worked alongside ENT surgeons. And so we had quite a lot of experience working with patients who had muscle tension, dysphonia and vocal nodules and, and all those sorts of voice disorders. But this whole area of chronic cough and vocal cord dysfunction was very new to us. There wasn't much literature at all. There was maybe one or two very small case studies. And so we were really on a very steep learning curve. And what happened with uh, us is that we didn't have much equipment to see patients with voice disorders. And we went along to the respiratory department and said, well, if we're seeing these patients, can we have some equipment? And they said, well, if we give you money for equipment, we want you to do some research. And so we did some research and it grew from there. Um, and, and I thought, well, if I'm doing research, I may as well do a PhD. <laughs> and, um, and, and alongside all of this was the discussion that, well, we, we really don't have any proof that this works. Um, there's not much information in the literature and um, you're saying you can treat patients with chronic cough, but there's no proof it works. And so we did a randomised control trial of speech pathology management of chronic cough, um, which uh, fortunately was successful and it has since been replicated as well. So, um, so that's really where we, um, yeah, where we started. So it sounds like over the years, um, the work of the speech pathologist has really progressed and now a speech pathologist would be quite an integral part of the team when managing someone with chronic respiratory disease. Um, so moving to pulmonary rehab, 
In your experience, what would a speech pathologist role in pulmonary rehab typically look like now? So in the Australian context, so is it common that there's a speech pathologist that works in pulmonary rehab? Um, and then if so, how many times would they maybe see um, a speechy during the PR program? Yeah, okay. So I think it, it really would vary depending on the hospital and the service. Um, and I think there's probably two main groups of patients. And I, I think of our typical pulmonary rehab um, patients who may have, uh, say, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And speech pathologists are not um, always involved with those patients and not always involved in those teams. So we may get referrals, but we're not actually, we don't actually have positions that provide that service. But I think it's it's quite important, uh, particularly for the the I, I think of them as the traditional pulmonary rehab patients, um, because I think there is a role for speech pathology there in swallowing, and we know that uh, some of the more recent literature has shown a correlation between exacerbations of COPD and silent aspiration. Um, and so the patient may not even have obvious signs and symptoms. So swallowing disorders but if you do an instrumental assessment you'll see that so I, I think that that's really a role that's important. Uh, more typically speech pathologists are involved in patients with chronic cough and vocal cord dysfunction and the role that we would have is going to vary depending on the hospital and the way that the services work. Some um, Patients may have the respiratory medicine physicians in private practice who then refer to the speech pathologist who's in another practice and they, they communicate together. Sometimes they might do, be doing joint assessments. I, I don't think it really matters too much um, how the model works as long as there's very good communication amongst the team. And typically a speech pathologist would see a patient for an initial assessment and that's usually quite a thorough assessment and it, it does take time to get through all of the case history and do all of the tests we need to do. We may be involved in laryngoscopy, but that depends again on the service and whether the patient has instrumental testing um, as part of the speech pathology service or whether that's done separately. Um, and in terms of therapy, we would often see patients for three to four individual therapy sessions. But the number of sessions varies. And sometimes you might get a patient who can really pick things up very quickly and only needs one or two sessions. You might get a patient who comes along and despite how severe they are, they don't want to do anymore. And so that, that they, they stop. Or you might get patients who just take a long time to grasp the exercises. So I think we do need to have flexibility there. One thing I would stress, though, is it's important to have regular therapy sessions. Um, if, if a patient only comes once every few months, it, it's very hard for them to learn the skills and get the momentum. And it's a little bit like trying to learn to play the piano and only having a very occasional piano lesson and not practising it. You, you're not really going to do that well. Um, what I think one area of uh, research that we need, though, is, is the dose of therapy that we need. And we haven't really got good data on that. And I think our the data we have is because we set up these trials and we say, oh, we'll give patients this many therapy sessions and then we copy that into our clinical practice. But we really haven't had any studies about 
the amount of therapy sessions that you need in order to obtain the adequate number of skills. And on that point, do you think that you would like to see people for more sessions? Do you think that often the dose um, is lower than it actually needs to be for the majority of clients based on the funding that you have available to you or the time that you have available? I, I would say so. I, th I think we often have, uh, I think there's a few things here. I think we often have a delay between the referral to speech pathology and when the speech pathologist is able to see the patient. Um, and I think ideally you would see the patient fairly soon after they have been referred because they've often gone through quite a protracted course of medical investigations before the speech pathology is um, highlighted as being needed and, and that's appropriate for them to be medically investigated um, but they've already waited a long time and then they have to wait again and then they may not be able to get into regular therapy sessions so I might say I need to see you next week but I have no appointments available so yeah. ideally I would like to see people um, weekly until they can grasp their exercises after that I, I don't mind if they're a little bit more spaced but if patients come in and they practice and they practice the exercises the wrong way, that's frustrating for them. They're not going to get better um, and they lose momentum. So I do like to check that, that they're practicing the right way. And I think I'm amazed that despite how simple we make the exercises, patients can still go away and do the wrong thing. Um, <laughs> not, not intentionally. They, they, yeah. you know, they can be very motivated and very, very, very diligent. Um, but I think we we forget how we need to simplify things for people and we need to, to check in and coach that they're doing the same thing. And we do it with sports people. We do it with professional sports people have coaches. Um, yeah. And yet we expect patients to have a few sessions and a few instructions and, and off, off they go. So yeah, I, I guess there's similarities, similarities there with exercise training as well. Mm -hmm. We People get referred to pulmonary rehab for exercise and we don't expect them to just be shown the exercises once and then be sent home. So why would we expect the same for speech pathology? That's right. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Regular supervised sessions. So you have pointed out that a speech pathologist can help with swallowing and then this can have um, effects on risk of acute exacerbation. And then a speech pathologist can also help with cough management. So two-part question, is there anything else that you think is um, really important, you know, what a role of the speech pathologist in symptom management for people living with chronic conditions like COPD? And in your experience, do you think that a speech pathologist role is under-recognised and that often, um, you know, patients don't get referred um, when they should be getting referred? Yeah, yeah. But I think, um, you know, look, I think the role probably is under-recognised and I, I think speech pathologists have got quite extensive knowledge of the anatomy and physiology of the larynx and the upper airway and that, and we use the, the larynx and the upper airway for a lot of functions such as voice, breathing, swallowing. Um, and so I think we, we uh, have a, quite a role in uh, dysphagia management. I think also our, we have roles in patient education and um, and educating staff as well. And a lot of what we are doing is educating people. So, for example, with somebody with a chronic cough, um, trying to change their mindset in the cough isn't something that happens to them, but the cough is something they are doing in response to 
irritation. And so we need to, to work on that. And it's not such, it's not simply lecturing people. Um, sometimes it's, it's coaching them in, in ways of understanding. So I think um, because our, our larynx is involved in, um, in disorders such as if patients have breathlessness or cough or vocal cord dysfunction, um, I think uh, speech pathology have a role in that. I think we have a role in behaviour change. And I think that our background in voice therapy uh, is something that we really harness to try and exert voluntary control over the, the larynx. And it's, it's what professional voice users will do, either consciously or unconsciously. A, a professional singer will use their voice in a particular way and they're exerting control over their voice um, in terms of their pitch and their loudness and the degree of tension and the projection and the tone. Um, and, and we uh, harness those things in therapy for cough in terms of uh, exerting some control over what the larynx might be doing. Um, so do you, so in your opinion, do when you have um, patients who come and see you, do they also have the misperception that, or like a lack of understanding of how a speech pathologist could help them? Because you said that, mm. you know, people come with this perception that, you know, cough is happening to them. So perhaps, you know, it's something they tie to the disease and that they'll never be able to improve. So it was a lot of your job breaking down you know, that misperception that they they can do these exercises and that those exercises can genuinely help? Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one of the um, earliest patients I had was a an elderly man who was a retired doctor, and he, he said to me uh, all his life he had told patients if they needed to cough, they should cough because you need to cough things out of your lungs. So the idea of suppressing a cough, mm -hmm. um, it, it, and it was... A mindset change for him and he said all my life I've been thinking one way and now I'm thinking another way and and he did really well with therapy so I think um it, it, you know certainly our our role is is going to vary and I think it depends a lot on the team in which you work so I'm quite fortunate in that many of the doctors who refer patients to us here at John Hunter often give patients a very good explanation about why they're coming to speech pathology and that speech pathology will help but occasionally patients walk walk in and go I don't know why I'm here there's no problems with my speech yeah um, some patients even cancel the appointment because they think I don't need to see a speech pathologist I don't have a problem with talking um, and, and so I think people can have very varied perceptions about what speech pathologists do and how we can help. Um, and I think uh, the other issue with speech pathology is because we're a relatively small profession, we often work between teams. So we might have a full-time person or they don't work full-time in respiratory. They might see some respiratory patients but also work in head and neck and also see general medicine and then neurosurgery all on the same day. So we're not as big a presence in those teams. Uh, and I think that that can take a while for people to uh, learn how we work and so for patients we, to get used to it. So perhaps we need more speech pathologists. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, won't, won't, won't argue with that. I think the <laughs> other the other thing um, too is that our role in asthma management is, um, is still probably in its infancy, and I think that there are a lot of times patients will attribute their symptoms 
of focal cord dysfunction to asthma. Um, and so you might find patients who have a lot of asthma exacerbations and, and when you really drill down, uh, the exacerbations might be VCD exacerbations or rather than asthma. So they may still have asthma. Um, and I think educating patients um, that, that the symptoms may not all be asthma. Um, there might be something else going on that's driving their, their symptoms. So I think that that, that is um, important, and particularly when we know that patients with these exacerbations often end up in emergency departments and hospitals, and that's expensive. Yeah. Um, so if we can intervene a little bit earlier in that space, we might be able to hopefully reduce some healthcare costs and reduce the symptom burden for patients. So that sounds like it also needs proper investigation by the physician as well, that, you know, not always defaulting to asthma and that there are other potential causes of similar symptoms um, and getting that properly investigated. So then would that involve referral to a speech pathologist to rule out that it isn't vocal cord dysfunction? Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, it's a a really good... um, uh, point because I think patients who have chronic cough and vocal cord dysfunction the thing that I usually say is patients need adequate medical workup before referring to speech pathology and that's a bit of a a soapbox I have really Um, because you could have a chronic cough uh, and you could see a speech pathologist and they might be able to help you to control the cough Um, but if the cough's due to a lung cancer you might be able to suppress it a bit but the speech pathology can't we can do a lot of wonderful things, but we can't cure lung cancer. Um, so we really need to make sure that patients have a thorough investigation medically. Um, and and I, in our hospital, we only see patients for chronic coughing, vocal cord dysfunction if they've come from a respiratory physician so that we know that that um, investigation has occurred. But I would also say patients who have signs and symptoms um, if they've got a chronic unexplained cough, if they've got cough that really seems to be originating from the throat, if they've got difficulty uh, breathing in, throat tightness, um, the breathlessness that comes on all of a sudden or or goes all of a sudden, um, and and, um, if if they're finding that their asthma medications aren't effective uh, um, and, and that their asthma symptoms are really out of proportion to their uh, pulmonary function tests um, that maybe we could consider that maybe the patient has got vocal cord dysfunction or chronic cough and might might benefit from speech pathology. So there are some of the signs and symptoms that both the person themselves but also the clinician can you know look out for and um, that might tell them that they need further investigation. But they might, yes. Yeah. Do you have... Um, any other suggestions for what would be important signs or symptoms that, you know, health professionals, if they see those or they notice those, that they should be thinking perhaps this person would benefit from referral to a speech pathologist? Yeah, so I think um, if the patient's got difficulty swallowing, I think um, the signs of vocal cord dysfunction, which I've, I've just mentioned, so difficulty breathing in, um, in, in a contrast with difficulty breathing out in asthma if there's throat tightness uh if the if the symptoms come on really suddenly so people are exposed to a trigger and the symptoms come on all of a sudden Mm -hmm. um some people with vocal cord dysfunction get a sense of um 
been suffocated or strangled and I've even had some patients think I'm going to die I'm going to die now um, this is it because the, the, the symptoms are so sudden and, and so overwhelming and people just can't get their breath um, with asthma you tend to see a more gradual build-up of symptoms and even if you remove the trigger these symptoms tend to last a bit longer mm-hmm. um, and you might find with somebody with vocal cord dysfunction that they may take asthma medication, but they have to take about 10 puffs of their Ventolin before they start to get relief from it. And after 10 yeah. puffs, you might think, mm, but maybe there's something that they're doing in their breathing pattern that is changing rather than act, actually having a, a medication effect there. So they're, they're the types of things that I would say that might hint that the person might need a speech pathology assessment yeah great um and moving to exercise specifically so if we Mm -hmm. um see people with chronic lung disease in pulmonary rehab and um you know we're trying to help people with exercise but if cough is something that's limiting their ability to effectively exercise do you have any easy tips for how we can help people um, to manage their cough while they are exercising yeah, so I guess the what um, I think there's two things there. I'd, I'd make sure that the cough has been appropriately investigated. And if it's a chronic, uh, refractory, chronic, unexplained cough, I think that's one, one thing. If the cough is secondary to asthma or COPD or IPF or something like that, then then you've probably got um, that, that's a little bit more difficult, but not not impossible. And some things that I would um, suggest to people is hydration, 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 mm-hmm. um, and not just a glass of water before you start your exercise. You really need to be well hydrated a good 24 hours before you're exercising. Um, if you're not well hydrated, um, it adds to irritation um, so if you're not well hydrated the amount of pressure you need to build up under the vocal folds so that subglottic pressure increases um, when you go to talk and if, if we talk all the time um, so already you're putting a little bit more strain a little bit more irritation onto the, the system um, normally we get people to try and breathe through their nose as much as possible um, now that's more difficult to do during exercise and and we don't necessarily encourage people to uh, nose breathe during exercise because that, that's um, not, not necessarily practical but um, but trying to get people to nose breathe at other times so that you're not getting dry cold air onto the larynx and, and causing irritation but certainly make sure the cough is is medically managed as much as it can be and people are taking their prescribed medications and using their prescribed medications the right way. Um, and also looking at humidification in terms of where people are exercising, that, what's the environment like, is there any possibility of changing that? And often we'll get people to um, exercise to a level that they can manage comfortable in terms of their breathing. Um, and if they're finding it difficult, then just to back off the pace of the exercise. But I think one one point with exercise, which is probably where speech pathology differs a little bit, is that we don't get people to push through their exercise, which is probably a slightly different exercise pulmonary rehab goal. 
Um, but we really try to maintain an open, relaxed larynx, and that might mean slowing down the pace of your exercise. So it's a different goal. Um, if the goal is to increase exercise intensity, it sort of is a, um, goes in the opposite direction of what we want the larynx to do. So we just, and, and I think that's fine. We just need to know what our goal is. I do get some patients with um, vocal cord dysfunction say, oh, well, I've been told I've got to push through the exercise. So I'm just going to push. And they're actually tensing the larynx incredibly when they're doing that. Um, so if the goal is to relax the larynx, open the larynx and, and promote that posture, then they, they need to back off the pace of their exercise, get their symptoms under control and then increase. And that sounds really easy to do. But in reality, we, we don't do that. I'm not going to, um, if I've got 10 more metres to walk and I'm breathless, I'm going to push through those last 10 metres. I'm not going to keep, I'm not going to stop and get my breath back. Um, and, and so we're really asking people to do something that is quite unnatural. Uh, the other thing that we uh, might get people to do is um, change the way they're breathing if they're doing any sort of weight-based exercise um, is to breathe out during the most strenuous part of the exercise. So if they're lifting their hands above their heads, breathe out while your hands are going up. Uh, so you're not breathing in and doing the strenuous part of the exercise at the same time. Again, that can be foreign to people. And so sometimes we need to practice that as well. Yeah, I think that's actually an important point about not pushing through the symptoms because as an exercise physiologist, I agree. My goal is to try and help people to exercise at the highest intensity possible to, um, you know, get the physiological adaptations that we're after. But I agree with you that there's no point in doing that if that is bringing on unpleasant symptoms um, and that we need to be able to modify the exercise so that they can still exercise without, you know, having cough or um experiencing vocal cord dysfunction. So, yeah, I think that's an important message that we always need to be aware of the person's symptoms and then tailor their exercise based on those symptoms, whatever they are. Um, yeah, and I think you've provided a really nice overview and definitely taught me some things about the role of a speech pathologist. So some important messages that I got out of it um, were that regular sessions are important. So thinking about speech pathology in the same way that we think about exercise and that people need regular supervised um, sessions so that they can master those exercises. Um, and that a speech pathologist can help with a whole um, host of different um, symptoms and conditions, including cough, breathlessness, um, vocal cord dysfunction, and swallowing. Um, was there anything else that you would like to add to the final messages? No, I think I think you've probably covered most things. Um, but I, th I think one thing is that the more I work in this area, the more I realise it's very complex and I'm still learning a lot after all these years. And I, I feel like the more I learn, the more I realise there is to know. So I think there's an exciting path forward in the future. Yeah, and it'd be great to see uh, more recognition for speech pathologists and more speech pathologists working within the pulmonary rehab space. Yeah, I fully agree. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me, um, Anne, for this ATS podcast. Okay, thank you very much for the opportunity, Hayley.